0: Morning, church. If you want to make your way back to your seats, that would be brilliant. Been a great service so far, and uh, today we are kicking off a uh, collection of talks spanning over two weeks. So, really, a mini series called "God, Gospel, and Culture." And we've had conversations like this um, in a number of different settings. Um, and they've often come with different titles. I think when we originally started them, it was "What does the Bible say?" Uh, then I think we uh, evolved that into asking for a friend. And the, the premises of those environments was really where people were able to ask questions uh, from the church. And really, we tried to, I guess, put you in a corner and just pepper you with questions, which you always handled so well. Um, but this morning is a little different. Where probably we're not going to have so much Q and but probably more of a, a conversation. And a couple of years ago, you actually preached a message out of 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Um, And you should remember it because you should remember all the messages that you preach. But it was... Some I
1: try to delete.
0: (laughs) But it was uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 12, the sons of Issachar. And in one of uh, the chapters of 1 Chronicles 12, it talks about how the sons of Issachar understood the times that they were in... And not only, not only that, not only did they understand and have discernment and wisdom for the times that they were in, but they also knew what to do for Israel. And you spoke that into the life of this church, saying that we need to catch that same spirit, that as a church, we need to understand the times that we're in and how we discern and decide what to do. Um, essentially, what that means for me, how I translated that, is you need to have a Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, to know that we live in essentially a strange new world. We live in a world that is is ever-changing, and as people of faith, our foundation is the Scriptures, the literal Word of God, And, and no doubt you'll want to speak into that in just a moment, which I'll get you to, but part of God, Gospel, and culture is throughout our faith journey, this is, this is, I guess, a belief that I hold, and I'm happy for you to correct me. It will be awkward if you do, but I am happy for you to. <laughs> Throughout our faith journey, I believe that we constantly need to look at not only the language that we use around theology and faith, but we also need to have some robust conversations about perhaps maybe some things that have weaved them themselves into church culture and Christian culture that we've put God's name to it, or we've put the Bible to it, and yet it holds no theological basis. And so throughout every individual's faith journey, and even a, a church's journey, we need to have robust conversations to look at, well, can hang on, can we just, can we talk about that? Because I, I, I believe people of mature faith can have these conversations and review and relook, and th- there's a word for it, deconstruction, and I know that word in church can sound a little dangerous, Here's what I'm not saying, that we put a dynamite to our faith and blow the whole thing up, but we perhaps maybe need to deconstruct some things so that we can reconstruct, so that we can catch God's heart in this strange new world. Any thoughts?
1: Paul put it this way, I determined to know nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, Paul, of course, was a highly learned well, a Pharisee before he came to Christ but uh, after coming to Jesus Christ, he said, you know what, everything that I've ever learned and known, it all just boils down to Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so I think today, Jared, that, I mean, this is where our faith, this is the ultimate part of who we are. This is where our faith lies. It lies in Christ and him crucified. And so every time we hear anything coming through from the world, uh, when i say the world um, you know from all sources wherever we're getting our information from and let's be clear about this most of the stuff that we're listening to is simply information it's not knowledge and rarely is the knowledge that you're listening to the truth right and so so many times i find as christians we need to be on our game because i hear a lot of uh, well-meaning christians who love jesus i know they do but they're receiving all this information and some of it's coming out of the church. They're hearing it from other church areas. Um, and so it can be easily disguised and camouflaged because, like you say, there's a lot of the world in the church these days. Yeah. And so the, the reality is that we need to be clear about what is it that we're actually listening to? Who are we listening to? Do we really, are we discerning what the Holy Spirit is telling us more than anything else? The Bible teaches us that you're a mature Christian if you can discern the difference between good and evil. And I think today this is where we come back to the sons of Issachar. Because the sons of Issachar were discerning and they were known as as a tribe of wisdom. And wisdom knows not just what to do, but when to do it. They knew what to do, but they knew the times they were in. And they knew what to do at at what time to do it. All that to say that... um, 100 percent right if we're not careful we will start to um uh, listen to a whole bunch of information and we'll and we'll actually think we won't filter it we don't go back to the simple truth that's in christ and him crucified we'll take the information we think that now is knowledge and then we actually think that that knowledge gives us truth the only truth that we know that is the truth the absolute truth is in jesus christ
0: yeah absolutely Your first message for 2023, you preached a message around the church needs to be prepared for a period of time where we will be humiliated, Um, which I thought was an interesting way to enter the year. Um, (laughs) Felt really encouraged after that message. And so for me, I guess what I came away with, you have these two pictures of mountains, the the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus took Peter, James and John, three of his closest disciples, his friends, up to the mountain where they saw his face shone, his clothes were white as light and the Bible describes all that. But then you have this second mountain called Golgotha where Jesus is humiliated and what you really drew out of that particular period of time of Jesus's life was how he responded to the humiliation. And I wonder whether we could just spend just a little moment on that. We're not going to spend the whole morning on that. But obviously you still stand by that message. But I wonder if you could just speak into that a little bit more about how you see that in terms of prophetically what's coming for the church and how we need to prepare ourselves individually. Because I think particularly in Pentecostal and charismatic circles, we have this bent towards you know, victory, overcoming, you know, all power to us. And really what we're talking about there, you know, Jesus is described as the lion and the lamb. And what I find in in churches and Christian circles, we often default more, yeah, I like Jesus the lion because he's the conqueror. That's the Jesus that I want to worship. Jesus the lamb that was silent on the way to the slump, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's the kind of Christianity that I subscribe to. Yet the Bible clearly describes that's who Jesus, yes, he is the lion,
1: but he also is the lamb. Uh, We're living in the days when we need to follow after the example of the lamb. The lion in scriptures comes after this earth. So he is the king of kings. He rules and reigns in the millennium and we will rule and reign with him and therefore the lion of the tribe of Judah. But whilst we're on this earth now in the time of the dispensation of grace, we understand that we follow his example as he came to earth as the lamb. And of course, this is like you just said, um, this is hard for human beings because they don't like to be humiliated mm. and they don't, have, they don't like to be like that. But Paul makes it clear in Philippians uh, chapter 2 that let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say that, that Jesus, being God, humbled himself, came in the likeness of man, and was willing to make himself of no reputation that he would serve. Um, and that, he says that mind should be in us, that we are not interested in doing anything else but making ourselves of no reputation, wanting to serve, being prepared to humble ourselves. I love what Lani was speaking about, uh, that, that idea of Jesus washing feet. Another great example, we know that the, the cross is a, is a clear example of where there's uh, humiliation on display. He is the son of God Mm. being completely and totally um, uh, railed against uh, in the most degrading and disgusting ways and yet there he was hanging there for us and and prepared not to do anything else but to be humiliated for our sakes Uh, if he was prepared to do it for our sakes and I and I did start that message and it is it was it is a prophetic message I will I do stand by it Mm. and I believe that that the church that is prepared to, to accept that they need to understand and look to Jesus as to the way we do work through humiliation would do, will do well. Those who won't, uh, I'll leave that up to Jesus. But here's, here's, here's Jesus washing feet again, demonstrating that he was prepared, as Lani correctly said, taking the lowliest place and basically a place of humiliation and washing everybody else's feet so, throughout scriptures, there's no doubt about it, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, that we would be those kind of people.
0: So, do you think the church in general, we've moved away from this idea, not necessarily from a theology of suffering, but when we talk about, you know, when Jesus came, he came to serve humanity and he came to sacrifice, do you think, and that's obviously the model for us as the church, do you think we've more moved away from that mm. and we've married our, our faith and our christianity with we've married it with a culture that says no we have to take things by force 100% and we okay. have to because all authority to us and mm. this is how we overcome mm. and you know you, you and i and and possibly others have been in many different meetings where someone with the microphone come on we're going to wrestle this thing and mm. you know and i think there's a time and place for that but mm. when that's adopted as a theology this is how we get things done in the church mm. you know we squeeze every last ounce out of it um, I just don't see that in, in the example that Jesus set.
1: 100% agree. Uh, and I totally agree with everything you've just said, Jared. The, the fact of the matter is that, that we've taken a number of scriptures and we often will use those scriptures, and, and we're all guilty of it, but um, you can take scriptures to, to do it, to read the way you want them to read and to outwork a, an agenda that may quite regularly not be God's agenda. Yeah. And so the fact of the matter is... Um, this whole idea of being humiliated is just not on our agendas. We just, we just, that's not palatable, um, except that it is, as Paul said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. You know, testing and the times of trials, um, and I believe the church is in that time and will continue to experience it, um, but uh, uh, the dialogue between uh, Peter and Jesus um, always... <laughs> I love just going back over it because you know, Peter was talking to Jesus and said, Oh Peter Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. And Jesus uh replies, Satan, get behind me. And and then he goes on to say, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you, but I have prayed for you. And I've always thought about that and thought, well, if I was Peter and I heard Jesus say, Satan has desired to sift you but I've prayed for you, that that would mean that, that Jesus has said you can't, told Satan, you can't sift him. Yeah. And, uh, and yet, what do we hear Jesus says, say? He says, I have prayed for you um, that your faith will not fail. But he didn't say, I've told him you're not, he's not allowed to touch you. Now, the church, I think, typically... That's where they, they, what they think. They think, well, Jesus is going to pray for us and we, he's, he's going to stand there for us and he won't let anything happen to us and we're not going to be tested and we're not going to be sifted. Well, Jesus was quite happy to be sifted himself and he was quite happy to allow Peter to be sifted. And I believe Jesus is interceding for us and is praying for us and is our advocate and is our mediator and is our high priest, um, our soon coming king, mm. but at the same time, what he's praying for us for is that our faith would not fail through periods of trials and tribulations where we are going to, uh, I believe, have to have the same mind as he had in periods of humiliation.
0: I think it speaks to also how we, as people of faith, approach the Scriptures. And often, you, you've made the statement before, we don't read the Bible, the Bible reads us. Another way to put that is I think sometimes we see things as uh, not as they are, but as we are. And in the world of psychology, not that I'm a psychologist, but in the world of psychology, they do a thing called the Rorschach test, where they will hold up um, pictures of blotted paint and they will will show the patient or the client, you know, and what do you see in that picture as they go through a number of pictures. And really what it's revealing is what's in that person's heart, even though there's nothing to the natural eye is what they can see. Sometimes the heart reveals what's going on in someone's life. And we have, we have, we have two terminologies for that. And if you've done any Bible college or any study, you'll know it's isogesis and exegesis. And often what we do when we open the Scriptures and we come from an isogesis, iso being the, uh, I guess, key little phonetic there, is we're taking our worldview, our values our understanding, the way that we see the world in, uh, as a 21st century Christian and, and essentially what we're trying to do is force our ideals into the Scripture and say, well, that's what it means. And really, you could take any Scripture out of context and make a doctrine out of it. You know, if you wanted 300 wives, read about Solomon. There you go. You know, you've got a doctrine on 300 wives. Not that you'd want to, but <laughs> you just because, you know, you know. Yeah, you know. And then we have, we're just, we're just going to backpedal really quickly. Um, and then we have exegesis. And exegesis is where we're actually trying to discover the original intent of that scripture. And I find that when we, we move away from the heart of Christ and the heart of God and the character and nature of God is because we've come to the scriptures with an isogesis posture. Well, this is what I want to see in the scriptures. I don't want to see Jesus the lamb, I want to see Jesus the lion. I'm a conqueror, I'm a warrior and I'll take it by force. And so we have this tension that always exists and it's really important that we get the right posture when we open the scriptures, otherwise we're going to miss it.
1: Let me just quickly pick up on the idea that Jesus is the lamb and I believe lamb and lion and I've just qualified where the actual lamb and lion is. But Jesus as the lamb also had a lion heart. Yeah. Remember that. It's because we, can, we come as lambs, but it's what's going on inside my heart, right? right. Yeah. And so I'm a, I'm a lion at heart, yeah. but I am a lamb, as I believe he demonstrated to us. It's important to know that. Um, but this whole idea, um, I... What was, what was the question? It wasn't really a
0: question, more no. just... I was just blabbing on about what I learned in Bible college. Really, you know, <laughs> I just wanted to Let's prove to people uh, how smart I so, was. So, That's what so I was doing. Is it, is, it,
1: is it this Wednesday night? I don't know if it's yes, this, it is this it, Wednesday, Wednesday okay. night. So, this exegesis, eisegesis thing is, is really what we're going to delve into on the, in Wednesday night. Just to give it a bit of a, a, a taste, because we you'll are, do a far better job than I just because did, so. no, but no, 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 you're, you're doing great. But, <laughs> but, 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 but Thanks. it's it's Thanks. it's about it's about being. Able to make sure, which we don't get time to do here on a Sunday, but it's about making sure that when we read our scriptures, that we are making sure we're reading the scriptures in the context and 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 seeing what are they wanting to say. The word I love what you said. i Isogesis actually spelled e i s isogesis. I love it starts with i. Mm. Like so, isogesis means. I'm trying to get the Bible to say what I want it to say. Correct. Exegesis is meaning the Bible is trying to get me to say what it's trying to say. Yep. And so to do that, you can't just necessarily read the Bible. You need to study the Bible, which I know takes a lot more time, but the Bible does tell us that we need to study to show ourselves approved, which... We're already approved in Christ Jesus, but what it means is you study the Scriptures to actually know what you're talking about. Yeah. Because a lot of people will just read the Scriptures and then they think they, they've read that in the Bible, so that's what it is. But you have to understand a whole lot of things like literary context, historical context. Um, that you have to understand the, the, the whole passage uh, that it's in to make sure that you're not quoting that, that Scripture out of context. So 100%, mate. Um, the reality is when we read our Scriptures... study our scriptures make sure you have take the time to do your cross-referencing there's a whole bunch of study tools you can get uh uh, on this day and age and i'm more than happy for people to say oh well we just wait and listen to jared or brendan or one of the pastors and what they say well if that's what they say well we we trust their walk with jesus and that's a privilege and an honor (laughs) and i and i'm grateful for that but my heart is to not just to give a man fish, but to teach them how to fish. Great. And the idea is to be able to say, come on, as the church today, particularly in this day and age that we're living in, we need to be able to rightly divide the Word of God to have an understanding for ourselves and not be just led along with any old bit of information that isn't actually knowledge and definitely isn't truth. You were at an event late last year And there was a young
0: person speaking. Uh, It was in a a Christian context, a Christian audience. And the young person made a statement which you and I have sort of discussed and debated. And they were talking about as young people, but certainly also as the church, we need to be people that fight for the truth. And you left that event feeling a little uncomfortable, if I
1: could use that word, with that kind of language. And I wonder if you could explain why. Thank you. Uh, yes, I was, I, I remember that vividly. And it was a time when I had heard a young person who was really a, 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 a young lady. She spoke exceptionally well. She was speaking to an audience of, I would have thought about 1,000 people, could have been 800 to 1,000. But uh, w- very uh, well-spoken and articulate and, uh, and I enjoyed listening to her. But she made just one statement um and she said you know as young people we need to understand the kind of world we're living in and we need to learn to fight for our faith now i'm i'm pretty sure it was fight for our faith it might have been fight for our truth for for the truth and it could have been that one rather than the faith but either way as i heard that statement in my spirit i know the holy spirit spoke to me so clearly in that moment and said this is this is where we have an issue. And I want all of our young people, particularly, but all of us here to understand. There's nowhere in the Scripture that says we're going to fight for, our, for the truth, for the faith. It says we have got to stand for it. Right. Did you hear it? Stand for it. We don't have to fight for it. See, Paul said, um, I have fought the good fight. And everybody thinks, well, see, we're going to fight. No, we don't have to fight. He was talking about the inner fight. The inner fight, his own personal inner fight. And of course, we all understand the fight that is between our spirit, our soul, and our body. And that's a fight that goes on and on and on. He talks about the war that goes on within him. So, wherever you hear that, it's all about that inner fight that we're all working through, where our spirit is to be the captain of our soul and our body. But at the end of the day, because faith in particular is a gift, you see, faith is given to us as a gift. We did not bring faith to the table. That's, what, that's, that's where I, I find so many uh, beautiful Christians, they, they actually feel that when, when they came to Jesus, Jesus, uh, you know, did everything on the cross, and by His grace, He has now come and offered everything He did to the cross to them, but they had to bring the faith to believe. The reality is, we didn't even bring the faith. Yeah. The Bible says that by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. The whole part of the, of the salvation plan is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Everything comes from God. The grace comes from God, Christ alone comes from God, and the faith comes from God. Um, and so when we come to Jesus, what actually happens is because we have a genuine inquiry, he sees that, that, that heart that genuinely inquires. The Bible says, if you draw, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And so when he sees that, he will draw near to you and he will give you the gift of faith to be able to believe in what has happened on the cross of Calvary. So you don't have to fight for it. It was a gift, right? Now, if we come back to the truth, the reality is he's the truth and I simply have to stand for Jesus. I stand for him. My whole life, I stand for him, everything about me. Is to do with how is Jesus? How am I allowing Jesus be Jesus in my life?
0: So can I ask? I guess from a practical sense, the idea of fighting for your truth or fighting for your faith as opposed to uh, standing for your truth. But ha- how does that work? Or how do you see that outworking practically in it in a believer's life? Is it, it? Would you think someone who has to fight for the truth and fight for their faith is well, that's, incredibly that's, outspoken?
1: Well, 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 I think that comes back to where we need to decom this decompose. Deconstruct. 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 We could, we could decompose, decompose, maybe. But you know, deconstruct is... A bit this of horticulture. I think this is a great example of deconstructing this whole idea of what, what we're reading in the Scriptures, yep. you see. No, no. for me, that that word, as I know the Holy Spirit said to me, no, Brendan, this is an issue here. It's not about fighting, and, our, and what you need to be clear when you have opportunity to help everyone understand. It's not about fighting for anything. The fight's over people... What we need to do is stand, and the key word is conviction. So we come with a heart of conviction. And so when you're standing in the midst of adversity, yes. it's not about trying to win or, or fight for anything. It's just standing on my convictions. And if my convictions require my life, well, that's what it's going to be. So would you
0: use the, the terminology meekness there? hundred oh, percent. And meekness, I think, in churches is often seen as a negative because we define
1: meekness as weakness. We do. And that's another thing that we need to look again at because Jesus was a great example of meekness. The Bible teaches us that we should come in the spirit of meekness. And I think it was correctly stated a couple of Sundays ago, this idea of being gentle but firm. And so we talked about the lamb with a lion's heart. Yeah. You see you 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 misread and misunderstand if you think that meekness is weakness because you're thinking they're just going to you know fall over and let everybody walk over them that's not the case at all but meekness is about being very firm and very strong on the in the inside uh, planted on my convictions and understanding of who I am in Jesus and who Jesus is in me and whatever it's going to require of me I'm willing to stand for that i've actually seen this like in real time with you where we've been in (laughs) various
0: different environments and meetings and there's been you know some individuals that have I guess started to push your buttons a little bit and you can generally tell because you sort of just get this little smile on your face (laughs) and it's like here we go get the cameras out this is about to be a bit of fun and and you sort of it's like you you bend but you don't break and so you sort of allow it to go a little bit further, a little bit further, and they just keep going and, you know, they're thinking they're running the show and then all of a sudden they'll get... It sort of gets to a point of no return and then you're like... And that's the point where you're like, no, we won't be doing that. And it's... For me, that's meekness because it's sort of like you've... You haven't shut them down completely. You've, you've, you've been gentle, but you haven't moved from your convictions. Thank you. <laughs> So whenever you get that little smile from Pastor Brown, you know you're in trouble, all right?
1: Just get out of there, all right? Are you speaking from experience? Uh, could be, could be. <laughs> hey, it, has,
0: it has happened to me a few times.
1: Do you, do you think, though, that that is helpful, that it's about standing on your convictions? That's the difference. Yeah. We're not fighting for anything here. We are simply willing to stand. We're unmovable. This is what we believe. This is our convictions. There is nothing going to change that we stand on those convictions. I honestly believe that a world today, it, it speaks louder to a, an unbelieving world today to see men and women of faith who will just simply stand without having to fight but just stand on their convictions and, and meekly.
0: Yeah. Um, we're, we're quickly running out of time and I don't necessarily want to move this into a political discussion, but the last three years, the landscape not just of this country, but the world has dramatically shifted with a global pandemic. Um, And if you do any study on the history of the world and the history of humanity, when we have large events like pandemics or world wars, generally there's a huge shift, not only socially, but also spiritually. And, you know, we've been talking this morning about how we um, stand for the truth rather than fighting for the truth. We've been talking about how looking at... Jesus as a lamb with a lion's heart and what I, I guess, have discovered, again, don't want to turn this into a political discussion, but what I have discovered in a a lot of different settings is where the church has somewhat married nationalism, if I could say that, um, and also theology and they've married the two together and they've blended the two and really have taken the approach of we have to fight for our rights And, you know, I am, I don't know about you, but I am grateful that we live in a democratic nation where uh, we still have free speech uh, and we can still vote uh, people in and out. Um, But I just wonder whether we could just probably finish because we do have two weeks of this um, and we will continue the conversation next week. But I just wonder whether you could just speak into quickly how when we have major events in the world and how it, it can often shift people's theology... And it gets married with pop culture it gets married with a whole bunch of different stuff and we actually move away from the original
1: intent of the scriptures uh you correctly stated that we are a democratic nation and we're grateful for that but never forget we're not a theocratic nation and i think that's where the church sometimes gets a little bit messed up they think that we are a a theocratic uh nation um meaning a, a we are one that's based on God, and that's not the case anymore. We're a democratic nation, we're very grateful for that. And so one of the greatest um, examples I find in scripture is where uh, God told Samuel to go to tell the people that they don't need a king, and uh, of course Samuel goes to tell uh, the, the nation that you don't need a king, you've got God, and he will give you judges, and they told him to get lost. And so he did. He went back to God and he said, God, these guys aren't listening to me. And the Lord said, no, that's not not you that they're not listening to. It's me they're not listening to. They're rejecting me, not you. Uh, But then I note this. And then God said, but we will. We know how this is going to end, but I'm not going to leave them. I'm going to stay with them and I'm going to actually let them do what they're asking they want to do. They want a king, I'll give them a king. I'll even anoint that king who happened to be Saul." And so he went on that journey with with the people even in a sense that's a democratic way of things god's not necessarily agreeing with everything that's going on in democracy but he will go along with that and so if he's willing to do that we too as the body as the church need to be prepared to go along with that as well now, you know, like you said, we've got t- another week on this, so people could get a little bit, what? We're going to go along with all of the, the things that we're hearing happening in our, in our society? Well, well my, my question is, when do, we, when do we not remain
0: silent, but when do we be meek? But then when is the time where we're like, no, we don't, we don't want that in our education system, or we don't want that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when, yeah. when, does, when, do, when does the church know when to push and pull, if I could use that
1: terminology? Grace before truth, grace before truth, grace before truth, grace before truth. Grace has only ever led me to the truth. The truth has rarely led me to grace. If you start going out into the society and holding up the Bible and telling everybody, here's the truth and here's the moral, we become the moral policemen, we're going to tell everybody what they should and shouldn't be doing and so forth, I can tell you now, they're just going to laugh at us. We'll become more and more irrelevant more so sadly sadly the church today in the eyes of the world is morally bankrupt and has absolutely no standing within the society what we need to do this is this humility this is being willing to be the lamb when it comes down to trying to know how do we walk in a democratic society but bring god into that society we do it with grace and as far as i'm in my own personal life grace is the only way that i've ever seen people come to the truth Um, we're not there accepting god never accepted but he did go along with them and it's a difficult question and we are facing some very difficult perplexing uh, situations right now in my personal opinion i think uh and I think I've quoted this on a message probably at the beginning of the year. We, we, I believe that the church has lost every single uh, battle, um, legislative, legislative battle, uh, I forget how long, 20, 30 years. Uh, so do you think
0: then, and again, I am very conscious of time, but do you think then when we're engaged in these discussions, these, these I guess, you know, societal and cultural and political discussions... I think sometimes the church has often defaulted our default answer is, well, that's just what the Bible says. I agree. And I don't know about you, but I find that doesn't wash a whole lot well these days. And so for me it's not I'm not divorcing my faith and theology when I have these discussions, but we've got to get sharper with our language when we I can't just revert to my faith. Although my faith is obviously the core of who I am, if I'm engaging with someone perhaps on, on another side, another worldview, another view, I can't Necessarily use the Bible as a standing point with them because there's no relevance there for them. No. I have to come from a different approach to have this discussion.
1: A hundred percent. And I, I think, if I was to put it this way, uh, the Apostle Paul said, "I am all things to all all men, mankind, all men and women." Um, and he he said that I might see some saved. Um, we have to be. This is this idea of we we we. ...doesn't mean that we've moved in our convictions, Mm. but it does mean that I am able to dialogue with anybody. Yeah. And I can be... in. I I love the way that we look at the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba heard about King Solomon in her land, and she came to him, and the Bible says that she asked him hard questions... And the way he answered them must have been in a way that she felt that she was safe with him, yeah. because the Bible then says that she told him everything that was in her heart. Yeah, and I think that's who we—that's our blueprint in civic, and I think that's what we need to be doing more and more of. We need to be need to be the people that are willing to get the hard questions. And you know, I, I have a number of friends in the world that, would, you know, they'll, they'll joke with me about you know if I went to church, the the, the you know the ceiling would fall in but they still ask me to pray for them yeah when they when they get they they'll say they'll talk to me about a whole range of personal matters um it's by the way this has taken years but just out of general catching up just acquaintances uh to start with but they get they know me they know that they're safe enough to be able to know you know, Brendan has never been pre- judgmental. He doesn't come across with a, with an a, opinion that an everybody else is wrong. And we're right. We've got the truth. You you people are all going to hell. Um, nothing like that. Uh, to me, that's what I mean by grace. Um, the Bible says, let your speech always be with grace. Let yeah. your speech always be with grace. Not sometimes. Let your speech always be with and grace. And I think that means that...
0: I can still disagree with someone, but gracious. But I don't have to dishonor them, and no. I think that's probably where, in in a lot of contexts, we we've, we've probably lost it. Where, well, because I disagree with you, I'm going to demean and dishonor you, and then no value is added to that conversation. And what, one of the things that I do, and it, it 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 to be honest, it really is a struggle, is I follow a number of different voices on uh, social media, Instagram and Facebook that are. are totally different ends to worldviews to me like some of the stuff that they put out is like it it, the mind boggles but I want to understand how they see the world Mm -hmm. I don't agree with them Mm -hmm. I vehemently disagree with them Mm -hmm. but I don't I my struggle is not against flesh and blood Mm -hmm. and that's where I think the church has to understand they are not the enemy Mm -hmm. they are not the enemy yes they are on different sides maybe politically they're on different sides in worldviews. but they are not the enemy they are still made in the image of God and, I, and, I, and God's command to me is to add value to that person. Don't have to agree with them, Definitely. but I'm not going to dishonor them and I'm not going to sling mud. I'm going to grace and truth. Well said. And I think that's probably where, you know, the church continue. Has to, it's not easy. It is not easy, particularly when, you know, they, they will... I'm not sure if you um, watched uh, the, the project this week, but they had someone on there that made... Uh, an incredibly degrading comment about Jesus and the 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 show was forced to apologise publicly. And, you know, hearing the comment, you know, your blood boils. Mm -hmm. But then you're reminded about grace and truth. Mm -hmm. And then you're reminded about how Jesus was humiliated Mm -hmm. and how he responded. There it is. And that's the picture. And everything within inside of me wants to jump on social media and give everyone a a gulp but it's like, but that's not what Jesus would have done. Mm -hmm. And that's the struggle, I think, that the church and Christians... Constantly battle with where we want to be the lion, and God says, Be the lion's heart, and
1: also the lamb. Couldn't have said it any better.
0: We're going to put a comma in this conversation, we're going to continue it next week. We're going to unpack some more discussion around God, gospel, culture, and I'm going to let you wrap it up. But can we thank our senior pastor this morning?
1: Thank you. Thanks, You know, I absolutely love these opportunities, and I'm—I I love that I get to do it with Jared. Jared and I uh, work well together, and I love to see that I love this young man's heart, and I love the way that he helps me, <laughs> as the older dog, uh, to understand a whole bunch of stuff that's going on out there. But look, the reality is this: everything that Jared was uh, saying and all the questions he's asking me are very, very, very relevant and important for the church today. And our hearts are that we're not just trying to fill up, fill in time here. You've given up your time to be here, and for those online, um, and we would so hope that anything we're talking about here is actually of practical help to you when you're out there in your spheres of influence. These things are really, really important for the church today, and when you go out there and you're you're you, you're part of the church, but oftentimes you're out in your workplaces and schools and and wherever you might be your clubs just in your community your neighborhoods and you're on your own you you don't have all of us with you it's important that you feel empowered to be able to carry some of the things that we're speaking about here and carry the heart that, that I believe is so very important today the world needs to see men and women of God young people of God that are going to get out there and just stand, just stand on their convictions, not try to retaliate, not, you know, we were just mentioning then, not to, not to go at their world view and not to have a go at the, their point of view. Don't do that. I implore you, don't go hard at the world view and the point of view, but just let it happen, just, just let it go over your head, just, just don't let it get to you and start to work with the person. I have found that when I've, when I've allowed them to express their worldviews to me and their points of view, and I have been res- willing to, let, to, to give them a hearing. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to what you have to say, and I'm not, they'll also know that while I'm listening to them, I'm not being, I'm not judging them. I'm just listening to what you've got to say. Um, but then what I'm really doing though is I'm wanting to help people know that you matter to me as a person. And because you matter to me as a person, I'd like to get on a journey with you, and that's that. That to me is grace. That grace, which is, let us always be, let our speech always be with grace. And the Bible says that we should be imparters of grace, and we can do that thing. That we can do that in a whole range of things, a whole range of ways, just by being the lamb not being willing to allowing ourselves to not get concerned about being humiliated that example this morning that lani gave us beautiful example nobody else would do this and by the way just to quickly add into that and no none of the other, there was a conversation between the disciples as to which of them should do it and none of them would do it and then jesus says i'll do it Because they didn't want to be humiliated. He was willing to be humiliated. So there's so much in that for us today. It comes back to, do you genuinely, honestly know who you are in Jesus Christ? Because if you know who you are in Jesus Christ, you've got nothing to prove. Right? Hello. Our Father, we've come this morning, not just to hear two men speaking, but to hear you speak and we pray father out of our conversation this morning that you've been doing more of the talking than either of us that you're speaking to your people you're speaking to your church you're helping to position us in a way that we will be the most effective we can be lord we but we still believe the fields are white under harvest but we understand Lord, that there, is a, there are different ways of going about that harvest. Help us to be wise in the way we do that, in Jesus' name. And every heart said, Amen and Amen. The team is going to lead us with one last song.